Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Um, Just have one or two quick thoughts. One is that the cafe uh, has begun service again today. Um, So for all you caffeine addicts, uh, they are not having full service, but they have coffee and drinks and other things available. Also afterwards, today is the first of our three picnics on the patio um, following second service. So if you want to go away and come on back and either bring your picnic lunch with you or there's some food there that will be available on the outside, an opportunity to meet people and greet one another. And then um, you should have, and probably will receive this by tomorrow, but this is a guide to what's taking place uh, throughout uh, this summer, various speakers, various events, including the picnics on the patio, etc., etc. All this is a, a reignition of the church um, that's leading up to Um, Our fall launch, which is going to be the second uh, Sunday in September. So mark that particular time down. Now, we are going to be having full communion again, uh, full, what I refer to as full contact communion, um, starting up in the first week of August. Uh, We have some other things that are going to be coming up as well, too. One thing we've been holding off until uh, now, and it's been the issue of offering, and so that's been done pretty much online or by uh, boxes in the back. But we want to acknowledge at least that as an act of worship before we continue today. So if you'll join me. Father, we come before you in thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we give freely without compulsion to you or manipulation. We ask that these gifts, these offerings, these tithes be used for your purposes um, with wisdom and integrity, that, that as we release these things to you, just out of thanksgiving, that somehow your word would be expanded and your kingdom expanded upon this uh, world. And now we ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us this morning out of your word. Give us an understanding, Lord God, to guide our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We began a series last week, Now is the Time. This is a three-part series. It'll conclude next week. Um, uh, another title for it could be A Theology of... I knew that would be a really good title that you'd all like a lot, so I didn't use that one. But we talked last week about a theology of gathering, that gathering together as a fellowship, there's a theology behind it. There's, there's a, a thing behind it. You can examine that if you didn't catch it uh, um, uh, on the YouTube channel and pull that up if you want to review it. But the key part of it is that we have developed a number of habits in this past year and a half that are not necessarily good. And part of that's even been re- redefining um, church and how that's to operate. That we think somehow we can do that just through a live stream, or through a clicking through of channels. But there's something about being together in the flesh. There's a theology that goes from Genesis all the way up to Revelation that talks about the church and the power that's gathered. I'm not going to go into that again today. But there's an important part to even the, the service, uh, what happens after the service. 
And it was really interesting in both services last week how people just lingered for a period of time. They got to know each other. They got to exchange different things. And I mentioned this in first service, how part of the thing of gathering together is we share uh, and celebrate things that you just can't do online. You can get information online, but you can't share experiences. And I referenced how when when Renana had our first child that um, we shared that uh, person to person with close personal friends. And I remember right outside that door there sharing it with one friend and how she squealed with delight and joy over the idea of it. And it was interesting because in second service afterwards as I was gathering with other people out there, I encountered one of our young couples who had chosen all on their own to do it the exact same way and let me know along with one or two others there that they were expecting their child their first child. And there was just that moment of sharing it together as a group. It was interesting. They purposely had chosen that rather than online because they wanted to share it with individuals to have that moment together. So there's something when we come together and share those things. Today, I want to talk to you about now is the time to serve. And uh, I would also put it as a theology of serving or service. Now, Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, verses 24 through 28, um, there's this conversation being had with Jesus. Uh, two of the disciples' mom had gotten involved in their affairs and had asked special favors for her little boys. Moms do that. And so in this case, the other guys had heard about this, and they were a little upset over the attempt to preempt the social structure. He calls them together. He begins to try to teach while correcting them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. This concept of servanthood is one of the central aspects of the Christian faith. Jesus highlights it profoundly in this passage, but there's other places and times where he emphasizes it Again and again, that somehow the idea of serving, this is very contrary to our society and our structure. And it was oppositional to the Greeks of that time as well. They considered this type of thing to be um, dismissed. The pagan at that time and the secular view of even today the idea is that, that self-assertiveness, imposing one's will on others, this is the way it's supposed to operate. We're supposed to boast of our achievements. We're supposed to draw attention to ourselves. Those who dominate others and control others, that's the way that's supposed to be for leadership or, or for attention or for just the dominant characters, and everyone else submits before that. Now, this is true today. It was true at that time. And so when Jesus is injecting this thought, for those of you who've heard this scripture over and over again or have heard these thoughts, you need to grasp the idea that this was contrary to the time period. And it's contrary today. And so many of you have heard this message before and it has not impacted you one bit because you'll be a servant 
You'll be gentle. You'll be sacrificing. You'll do all those things as long as you know that someone is watching you or as long as it's in a context where you don't have to give or sacrifice too much. But when you walk into your work scenario where dominance is the name of the game, when you walk into your homes, when you walk into other situations and circumstances, we change how we approach things. This teaching of being a servant impacted the disciples practically more than any other teaching that they got. Why do I say that? Well, okay, a couple of reasons. One, let's go to what Paul's saying in Philippians. So Paul's writing later, things he's learned and understood. And in chapter 2 of verses 3 and 4, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now notice he says selfish ambition. There's a good ambition. We can have an ambition to do things for God or an ambition to do certain good things. But there is a selfish ambition. There is an ambition that is all about ourselves. It's our agenda. It's what we can do. We can say that we want to serve, but down deep, we want the attention that comes with that, or there's an agenda to gain something, to get something out of that, and that's what's driving it. It's just dressed up with a service statement. There's an old Twilight Zone episode, the classics, okay? Shakespeare, Milton, Rod Serling. These are the classics, Princess Bride, a few others. And so this one episode um, that even as a kid impacted me, I still remember it to this day because it was so much of a twist. These aliens come to Earth, and they want to give peace and kindness and all these things to mankind, and they say all they want to do is to serve. And they provide different things that end war and, and take care of disease, and all these things are taken care of. And at one point in time in the conversation before the UN, they leave a book behind. And so the scientists are gathered together, the Americans, they get some cryptographers to try to decode this book so they can understand more about these, these benevolent, kind, and caring aliens. And, and after all the work and all the effort, all they can do is they can only uncode the title of it, which says, To Serve Man. And to serve man is the title of this book. And they think, well, then, then this must validate that these people are benevolent and good. So with all war ended and peace, there's no need for cryptographers. And so the chief cryptographer finally decides to take up the aliens on their offer. So many people are visiting their planet and flying off in their ships. And so he goes to get on board the ship and he's in line and just about to board the ship when one of his associates rushes up to the fence and through the fence says, don't board the ship. And he looks back and he's like, why don't board the ship to serve man? We decoded the rest. It's a cookbook. And the aliens shuffle him on board and carry him off to the planet where they fatten him up allegedly and they serve man. <laughs> Agendas are not always what they seem. And sometimes they're dressed up in forms and ways that, un, that, that cover up an agenda that is to take from people. To control or manipulate people. To use people for one's own gain or attention. These are not the things of God. These are not the things of Christ or the ways of Christ. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or a vain conceit that you think of yourself so highly. It, 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 the little translation there is empty glory, that you think of yourself as glorious, but it's, it's empty. 
that you have this excessive view or opinion of yourself and your importance. Whenever we begin to feel that we are so important or so able or so talented, we are out of the will of God. And when it enters into things of ministry, it is particularly despicable. And I see more people today that, that don't understand that in drawing glory and attention to themselves as a minister of the word or as, as someone leading an area within the church, that you're touching on the glory of God. That is something you never want to do. All glory and all honor is due him. And all work that we do is to give him glory and honor, not to draw that to ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This passage is actually in our Constitution and bylaws when we reconstituted them a couple of years back or so. We put it right in the preamble saying that if we don't believe this, then none of our organizational structures mean anything because they can all be circumvented and gotten around by people who do not believe these things. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. I've seen so many times people use the church as a vehicle for an agenda instead of serving the community or serving the ways of God or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. He goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7. In your relationships with one another, having the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Used to his own advantage. Rather, he made something, himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Didn't use it for their own advantage. This teaching, this theology of being a servant, did it have an impact on the disciples? You tell me. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 begins with Paul, a what? Come on, you guys can read better than that. Paul, a of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy both. Servants of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Titus 1, verse 1, chapter 1. Paul a. James 1, verse 1. James a. Peter, 2 Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter a. Jude 1, 1. Jude a. Do you see a trend here? They got this point down to such a degree that it defined who they were. They defined themselves not as, as ones who knew Jesus and therefore have special position and privilege, but as servants of Christ. This is how they define themselves. So this theology, this concept of being a servant spreads deeply into the heart of the disciples. Jesus continues on teaching. And um, as we read in Matthew chapter 20, actually earlier in that same thing before the guys got off track, he gives them a parable. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. It's like a day's wages for, for that. 
and sent them into the vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he goes out and see others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And then here's an interesting thing. He says, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? He's like, surprised. Don't you realize there's tons of work? Why aren't you guys working? Well, no one's hired us. No one's asked us. So will you also go and work? Now, the end result of this parable is a really uh, interesting moment because at the end, everyone comes for their wages and he pays everyone the exact same wages and the guys who've been working all day are ticked off at the ones at the end got the same amount they did and they're saying it's not fair and it's a whole other subject issue to go into. Basically, God determines and gives to us what he chooses to give to us and whether we come late to the game or early to the game. I've been, I've been serving Christ since I was a child. Mel only came to Christ, how long ago now, Mel? Ten years. Ten years ago. I thought it was about that. So you see, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a whole lot more stuff than he is. Because <laughs> since I've been serving him since I was a child, that means like, what, 20 years, 30 years I've been serving him? <laughs> you are cruel and ugly people, all of you, okay? No, a lot longer. He's served Christ for 10 years. Or Christ saying the same reward of eternal life is to both of us. Relationship with him is for both of us. And I have no right to complain over the fact that he came late to the party. And I have no special privilege because I came early. There's no entitlement in the kingdom of God. I'm going to take a sidetrack. When I became lead pastor of this church, I was 35 years old at a time when most pastors were 50 and 60 years old. I had to deal with a, a senior citizens group within the church. And as we try to transition the church into something that was more effective in reaching people, I wanted to honor them. They were my elders. I had trouble doing that because they were the most immature, spiritually um, entitled group of people that we ever had. And for three years, we slow walked things, just trying to respect them. And I'll be confessing to you right now, there was a moment in a staff meeting with a Steve Gill, Rick Camiso, and Mark Alseth, who'd been coordinating that group, when we rolled out a new initiative, and, and Mark, who led that group, says, they're not going to like this, and I stamped. Now, I did not scream, I did not yell. I never curse. And I said, I don't want to hear again why we can't do this because of this group. We have walked it for three years. Okay? And we move forward. But we were gracious and kind. I tried to respect them. I was in a group of uh, some of our older types here, more mature types, a couple of weeks ago. And this earlier group back then was called the Sunshine Gang. It was an actual ministry called the Sunshine Gang. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting around with a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, more mature people. And for those of you that were there, I have to tell you suddenly it reoccurred to me, you are the Sunshine Gang. <laughs> we are the Sunshine Gang. Um, which is deeply disturbing on so many different levels. But I looked around at that group and I saw not entitled people, not spiritually immature. I saw well-traveled, well-educated people who had a, a longing for the things of God, who themselves were willing to serve and sacrifice so that the younger members of our congregation could see the light and come to Christ. And I thought, what a difference over the years of time. What a difference. Now, there were one or two of that group that are still around, and uh, one particular, and he was one of the good guys in that group. His name's Ron Ofsenko. 
the rest of them have moved on uh, to eternity at this point in time, and I'm sure are, are blessed and are doing great. We are not to be entitled. We are not to wish our own ways or have our own drive of things. And it doesn't matter whether someone comes late to the party or comes early to the party. All are blessed and accepted by Christ. All are able to serve together. There's another passage in Matthew, the next chapter. Jesus is talking again another parable. And this one really strikes me. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But before you judge this guy, he says, later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son. Interesting, he went to one, each one individually. It was a direct personal engagement. It wasn't a general call. Goes to the other son and said the same thing. And this one answered, I will what? Sir. He was very respectful. I will, sir. Absolutely, sir. No question, sir. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely, no question. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said, I'm truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are in the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. God comes to us. He speaks to each one of us individually. He wants us to be servants, one who reflect his nature and his character in all that we do. Some of us sit here and, and we, we have said maybe in times past, no, we won't go, but something moves in our heart and, and the final thing is not what we say but what we do and we have come to serve. There are others who answer very respectfully and publicly, of course they will, but down deep they never go. And he's speaking to, to, to the um, religious establishment of the time and saying, you guys publicly are reflective and respective and all the rest of that stuff, but you're not doing the things of God. These prostitutes, these tax collectors, these ones on the low end of the scale, these are the ones who have, have shown by their actions that they're rebellious, that they're not going to go. But something has worked in their heart and mind as they hear the call of God, and they have come, and they're entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And they're going to get the same wages too, even though they come late to the party. This always has struck me. Two sons, two people that, that this father's intimate with, and one says they won't, but they do. We can't always judge people. The other one's very respectful, very, but he doesn't go. We don't like to be treated as a servant. We don't like some of the traits and aspects that come with it. We're not in control oftentimes. People take our service and they ignore what it cost us. We can do tireless, intense work for a number of years and receive nothing but a, a nonchalant, casual thanks. And all that can turn us bitter and hard and cold at not being recognized until we fall away. But if that's the case, our motive and purpose in doing the service was wrong to begin with. It was one that felt an entitlement to receiving certain things. And a true servant never has that sense. That doesn't make the injustice any more righteous. But still, what drives us in what we do? One pastor one time was posting 
question to his friends on Facebook. What makes it hard for you to serve other people? And, and a lot of the things we just referenced were part of the answers back, as well as time and pressure and other things. But I like the one answer. My favorite one was this. What makes it hard to serve others? And the response was, others. Serving difficult people. Serving people who um, don't recognize you, don't care. But it's the job of the server to serve. Now, there are different ways of service as we wrap this along real quickly. The first aspect of serving in the ways of Christ to answer that call to come into the vineyard is to, to serve Christ, to take on his character, his nature. The disciples got that. That's why all this servanthood thing worked into their letters so deeply and profound. It's first to take on the character and the nature of Christ. And so as we serve together, we are shaped. We are um, reshaped into the image of Christ. That's part of what it is. Another part is that as serving together, we form relationship. To become a member, at least of this church, is to become like a member of the military service. It's not to get higher privileges or rank or anything else. If, if you become a member of this church, the idea is that now you are now called and freed up to serve within the community. And I love that phrase about the military when, when they said that they served in this place or they served there. And they talk a lot of times of who they served with because there's a community in that. And if you served in Vietnam and you know another Vietnam vet, there's an automatic relationship there whether you actually serve together or not. But if you actually serve together, side by side, taking bullets and taking fire in Iraq and Afghanistan and anywhere else, then there's a particular bond that comes together. And in the same way, when we, when we join together in service, Anybody who has served in the children's area on a Sunday morning knows what facing death is like. <laughs> they know the challenges involved. And I kid with that, of course. But when I worked with youth years back, some of the individuals that I worked with with youth decades ago are some of my closest friends still today because there's something that binds you together when you're serving together. Servicemen understand the issue of sacrifice. They understand the concept of a cause. Maybe this is why Paul oftentimes will reference military service as a way of serving God. That we serve the one above us. Now, there's several different aspects. I'm going to move quickly into this next portion of things and, and, and give you some opportunities in this because here's the deal. As we talk about it, it's time to gather, and that's going to be unfolding over the next couple of weeks' time, coming up to homecoming where everyone is going to be there. Let me emphasize, everyone will be there, okay? The other aspect is serving. Through this last season of time, we have um, had a lot of disruption in different programs, different aspects. Our music team, for example, for I think probably something like eight months, we used almost the same team, even though we had others that could have served over and over again, week after week after week, so that we could minimize the, the, the chance of infection or anything else occurring. Now, we were successful in all this. We had nobody that ever got ill through any of our services or our gatherings that we were aware of. But it put a strain upon that group. Now, we have others that need to come alongside that. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you now, real quickly, five or six different areas within the church to serve. But that's not the focus of it today. This is just an opportunity for you. And there's going to be those individuals, these leaders I'm going to show you, are going to be out back uh, in the atrium at a table. And if you're moved so to do so, you can talk to them now or at other times. 
And so I'm going to go out of sequence real quickly on this. I'm going to put Jake's face up real quick. You saw him leading worship. If you play an instrument, if you uh, um, sing a song, or so you think, um, then talk to Jake. And we're going to be expanding the music team and re-engaging people again. Some of you may have just been sitting on the bench for a long time, haven't engaged. Talk to Jake. Get engaged. This will be an opportunity. I mentioned to you earlier the children's area. Jeff Brown is um, our pastor in charge of this in family life. Jeff is a phenomenal human being. Jeff is a former army medic uh, who then got his nursing degree, then got his MBA. He headed up the ER, I think at uh, Royal Oak Beaumont, and I think at one of the other hospitals at one point in time. Stepped away from all that to come on our staff as a children's pastor. That's phenomenal. It really is. As an army medic, he can both take apart somebody and patch them up. It's a great skill for a pastor to have. Okay? Jeff is one who heads up the children's area. And so if you want to be involved in that ministry, and that's a, that's a simple, easy thing to do, but it's really critical working with these children and working with these young people. It has so many different layers of ministry, both from those children to the parents who are relieved and given an opportunity to learn all that aspects. Jeff is someone to look up. John Freeman, he leads our uh, student ministries, Axiom. There's, there's nothing more critical, I think, today than our, our, our teenagers. They are facing more pressure, more issues than ever before. People who can come along and align with that, give them instruction, care, that somebody cares for them. Huge issue. He's also part of our welcome team. And so if you want to be involved in ushering or welcome, that's another area to check with and talk with him afterwards. This building has been a phenomenal place. And you notice as you come in, for the most part, it's clean, it's decent, it's managed well. Jerry Bain is one who manages this. Keith Taylor, another one of our members, managed us beforehand for years and uh, someone we have a great affection for still. But Jerry's been leading this area now. And uh, Jerry's a great guy. He's got a lot of different skill sets I want to go into today right now. But there are individuals who come in and just clean on their own. There are individuals that coordinate with him and take care of different aspects of the building. And maybe you're one of those that can just come in a couple of days a month, rearrange some chairs, pick up a few things, clean a few things, give him some assistance out in the yard. Jerry's one you can be involved with. Um, we mentioned the uh, cafe. This is kind of special. So the cafe is led by Elizabeth Perlacki and Liz Shakatano. These two young women have been involved with this particular ministry for almost 21 years. They started as the people, as, as young kids, as kids, basically cleaning some of the counters and handling some of the other aspects of this stuff. And I didn't know this even until today, but for 21 years... They've actually been coordinating this. Now, they're going to be expanding the cafe, and they can use a lot of help. And here's the great thing about it. You can be involved in the cafe, serve coffee, and serve other people, and clean things, and, all, and won't get paid anything. It's a wonderful opportunity. We've been involved in the Osborne community. The Osborne community of Detroit has been referred to as the most violent uh, area in Detroit. Now, that's starting to change. And part of it's due to the work that this church has done. One of our staff members, Erica, is actually has her own office inside Osborne High School. Now, we haven't rubbed this up yet. We aren't launching some of those ministries quite yet. But I wanted you to see her, and I want you to talk to her afterwards if you want to have an, uh, put a little pinhole in it and something that you can be involved in in the future as that starts to rev up. But that's something else that we're involved in that we're a part of. These are all active ways that you can be involved. And these are just the infrastructure aspects. There's dozens of other ministries. This is just some of the stuff that we need on the ground in the next couple of weeks' time as we come out of the summer. So I'm asking you directly. I'm asking you to think and consider those things. But that's not the purpose of the message. 
just to set all that up for you. This is to establish a theology of serving and a heart and mind. And while, yes, there's aspects of that within the church that are great and we form relationship and we rub shoulders and we build community and we develop certain traits that way and all that's fantastic, there are many of us, if not most of us, that won't find the space, time, or calling within the church to do it. Some of us will approach Jake and say, I'm ready to sing, throw me in, coach, and he'll listen to your voice and say, no, I'm throwing you out. In the name of Jesus, with with all due respect and love, okay? Well, that was well-timed. Okay? And maybe you won't find a place within the children because you're allergic to them. Teenagers annoy you. Um, You're just no good at cleaning. Uh, Maybe you're you're OCD and you just clean the same spot over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we say, move on. There's a lot of different reasons and ways that maybe that won't work. But this concept of servanthood isn't limited to the things that we've just described. These aspects of servanthood are to be, again, a nature a character, a part of who we are, and it's to reflect in those things so that when people see us in our work, that they see Christ. There's this one run when I was reading about the other day. Um, her official title was charwoman, C-H-A-R. It's an old English term. It means one, a woman who cleans offices part-time and stuff. She was so great at her job in federal work that they assigned her to the White House, and she would clean um, the Oval Office I think it was something like 20 plus years, 26 years or so like that. She would clean the Oval Office. She was a Christian. Her character showed in such a way, and this is what her daughter said, it wasn't just her work, it was her character. And so for 20-some years, this woman cleaned the office of the president. And so that she would go, after she'd be clean, she'd put her hands upon the, upon the chair of the president and, and would pray over that. Through six different presidents, she prayed. Republican, Democrat, didn't matter. She prayed for wisdom and guidance. This was how she expressed her job. And she was just a simple cleaner. But her character showed through in such a way. Martin Luther was approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. And Luther asked him, what is your work now? And the man said, I'm a shoemaker. To the cobbler's surprise, Luther says, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. He didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes, whatever those would look like. He didn't tell the man to leave the shoe business and to become a monk. You work at General Motors. You work at Ford or Chrysler. You work in the hospital. You work in education. The kids just drive you nuts some days. And as a person in the natural, you just want to scream and yell or, 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 or whatever the case, but, but you recognize that you're serving Christ in serving those children. And so your tone is arrested. Your attitude is adjusted. The things you shape and the things you make, you realize, don't just reflect the big three or hospitals. They reflect Christ in that moment for those people will know that you're a Christian. How you respond to your boss, the politics you play or choose not to play, all those reflect things that says that we are either self-serving and caught with with vain, self-serving ambition, 
or whether we truly are those who stand in the reflection of Christ. Before I go to this next point and we wrap up today here, I want to take a brief moment because here's the thing. A lot of times we don't get recognized for what we do. And and we should always serve without that. But I wanted one moment to not go past. Marie Brisky and David, but Marie particularly, uh, came to me back in 1999. And she said, you know, um, I'm an ICU nurse and I deal with people all the time and stuff like that. And and, uh, I expressed my sorrow for her. Um, And she said, you know, what if we formed a ministry that provided for people who were uh, dealing with grief, people were in hospital, people were in hospice situations of this type, and so she formed something called Gentle Care Ministries at that time. Now, prior to that, it was something that, that every single situation was a hospital in the area. I was expected to be at pretty much. Every single scenario. She developed a group of nurses and other people, uh, just lay people in general, that now for the last 20 years have been going to the hospitals, have been making the calls, been doing those things, and have served this community in a fantastic fashion. It's gotten to be such a degree that at this point in time, when I show up at the hospital, it's for one of two reasons. We either have a particularly unique relationship and a friendship, and I'm just there as a friend, or you're dying. So when I show up, it really makes people a little uneasy. Are we good friends, or am I dying? Well, (laughs) really haven't known each other that much, have we? (laughs) You know? She stepped away from this ministry recently. Jim Perlacki, who's been heading up handprints, is going to be uh, taking that. So, Marie, I'm going to ask if you just step forward real quickly. David, you're going to stand where you're at there. Yeah, you are. That's her husband. You can stay right there and stand. But both of these people have been involved in this. And so, Marie... This is just something, and if you recall, these hands were actually something that were used initially with general care and one of the logos, I think, that were involved. Yes, I do. I remember those things. And so we want to present this to you just as a little bit of a memento, and thanks for your work. Appreciate it. That doesn't happen often. There are times we're not recognized. But there are times that we are, and that's appropriate to honor her. And David. He's the one who allowed her to do it all. There is a theology of serving within the kingdom of God. And that's to take place within the church. And those leaders will be available out at that table afterwards if you want to connect on those key infrastructure issues and be a part of that now or for a later time. But it all is also where we're at, in our homes, in our places of business, with how we carry ourselves. It's appropriate to give honor, and we do when we can and when there are moments appropriate. But here's the thing, and here's how we're going to close the service today. Above all, a servant, by the, by the, the name itself, implies that they work for somebody else. Each one of the apostles say they were a servant of Jesus Christ. And all of us, Marie, Dave, me, Jake, you, 
the people you never see who are punching buttons up in the booth. People watching children right now in the back. Those who quietly come in, and one of them's on the platform here today, even who on their own just quietly comes in and cleans or rearranges chairs. We all serve somebody. And that is Jesus Christ. And the scriptures tell us, also in Philippians, says that at the end of time, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that they're going to lift him up. Now, last week, I said there was a lack of confidence in your capacity and ability to sing a song that many of you would not have known, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And I think the creative group was right. I don't think we could have done it really well. But now, most of you should have gotten a song by email that gives you an understanding of the song. And I'm going to read the words to you again, and we're going to sing this night today as a close because we're going to give honor to the king above and before anything else. And we want something about generational aspects because this is something that, even though it's in the past, should not be lost because it has power to it. So here's how the words go. All hail the power of Jesus' name. The angels prostrate fall. Bring forth this royal diadem, this crown, and crown him Lord of all. And then it repeats it. And then it talks about, O seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransomed from the fall, that we've been ransomed, that somehow something's come through Israel's line in the person of Jesus Christ that has recovered the fall of man in the garden. Now ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace, not by our works. Crown him Lord of all. Then let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. And then the last verse says, Oh, that all, with all the sacred throng, those who are gathered at the, crowd, at, the, at the feet of Jesus, that we at his feet may fall, will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Now, those are the lyrics. You'll see them on the screen. I'm going to ask you to stand this time, get up on your little hoofies, okay? And I'm going to ask you to do it. We're going to do a test run because I'm, I'm really confident, but not that confident, okay, with you guys. And so we're going to sing the first verse one time through. It's kind of a test run to get it down a little bit, especially some of you who may have not opened your email or saw the, uh, the, the part that, that was provided for you. And then we're going to come back to do that first verse and all four verses together, okay? So here's the first one. Let's take the first verse and see how we do on this game, okay? Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Father, I pray that as we readjust the habits, some very bad ones in this past year, year and a half, some that have caused us to sit on the bench way too long, that Lord, now as we move into this new season of time, that we'd understand the theology and the importance of gathering, that as we gather, that we would come to once again embrace the theology of serving, We'd recognize that there's no time to be wasted. The time is now to gather. The time is now to begin to serve. I pray, Lord, that this theology, this thing would color our thinking and our view just as deeply and profoundly as it did each of the apostles so that when we go to work tomorrow, we'd bring that with us. As we go into our homes today, we'd bring that with us as we enter into service within this church community, that we'd bring this theology of serving with us, and above all, that we would honor you as our king, as our master, and as our Lord. 
As we leave this place, speak to us, I pray, to your sons and your daughters in all that we do. And we'll give you the glory and all honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.